wishes. You uh, try not to let those secrets out, but sometimes Facebook does you in. <laughs> but seriously, I'm grateful for uh, a wonderful year of God's faithfulness in my life, our family's life, and uh, uh, a great part of his blessing for me, for our uh, entire families, to be a part of New Hope Kailu and God's family here. So thank you so much for showing us his love and, and uh, his fellowship together as a church family. Well, I'm wondering if you're getting in the Christmas spirit. We're almost midway through the month and Christmas is coming up and I have a little test to see if you're getting in the Christmas spirit. See if you can pass this test. Okay, it's a test about carols. I'm going to flash up on the screen a, um, a Christmas carol uh, and you have to name that. Guess that Christmas carol quiz. Okay, so here's the first one. It'll come up on your screen. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. without noise. What? Silent night. Wow, very sharp. You got it. You're getting in the spirit. Okay, that's uh, silent night. Here's the second one. See if you can guess this one. Exuberance directed to the planet. Joy to the world. Are you guys ever in the Christmas spirit? Okay, one more. Uh, well, here's another one. Assemble everyone who believes. Oh, come all ye faithful. Some of you guys really know your Christmas carols. It's a wonderful time of year for singing. One last one. This is a real test. Thank you, John. With the uh, breeze coming in, we want to keep our candles going. With the, um, here's, here's the last one. Quadruped with crimson pro proboscis. I think I heard it. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. One of the cl cra classic Christmas carols, but uh, one of the fun songs that uh, certainly for kids to sing at this Christmas time of year. Well, those are uh, just a little bit of a test to see if you're getting in the Christmas spirit. Christmas is a time for singing. And we noticed last week that, and I hope you will take the time this year, uh, maybe with your family, just to read those first two chapters in Luke's Gospel. Luke tells us more than any of the Gospels about the birth of Jesus. If you read Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, everybody's bursting out in song. Everybody has a song of joy in their heart. Elizabeth, with this miraculous pregnancy of John the Baptist, she uh, has a song of joy in her heart. John the Baptist himself, as a baby, is doing cartwheels. He can't sing in the womb, but he's doing cartwheels of joy in the womb. And yes, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, he bursts forth in a song filled with joy. And the angels show up, and uh, the heavenly beings are filling the skies, singing a song of joy and telling the angels, telling the shepherds about the birth of this special child. And then the, angels, the uh, shepherds go and check him out, come back. They're singing forth a song of everybody's singing. And I really believe that God wants to put a song of joy into your heart this Christmas season. And he wants to put us, fill my heart with a song of joy as well. So we're going to look this morning, how can we do that? We're going to look at Mary's song. Mary, the mother of God. Mary, the mother of baby Jesus. She bursts forth in a song as well. So we're going to read that song and see just how God can fill your heart with joy this Christmas season, how he can fill my heart with a song of joy this Christmas season. So Let's read it together from Luke chapter 1. This is Mary's song of joy. And she says this. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. I love one of the translations says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's bursting forth with a song of joy in her heart. She says, how my spirit rejoices. She's filled with joy. 
in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. How would you summarize Mary's song of joy? What has uh, caused her to break forth with joy in her heart and singing? It's the same thing that will fill our heart with a song of joy this Christmas. And I can maybe summarize it this way. You can have a song of joy in your heart because Jesus is an awesome personal Savior. He's an awesome personal Savior. He's awesome in the sense if you look at all of the qualities of who he is, all that Mary celebrates about who Jesus is, he's worthy of awe. He's, he's worthy of adoration, of, of worship. Um, he's incomparable. There's no one like him. He's, he's truly awesome. But don't miss the fact that, that Mary's celebrating not only is he an awesome Savior, but he is personal. Did you catch that? Mary, the mother of God, Mary the virgin, whom the Holy Spirit did a spectacular miracle so that the child born was going to be fully God and fully man. Mary says, God, my Savior. She doesn't say, the Savior of the world, and he is the Savior of the world. But Mary celebrates in a very personal way that, that Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, but he's God, my Savior. And that's a wonderful thing to celebrate this Christmas season, that he's your savior personally. He's not just the savior of your family or the savior of the church or the savior of the world, but he's your savior personal. And I think that's a wonderful thing to realize in my own life, that, that Jesus knows every sin I've committed, every word I've said that I regret, every thought I've had that I should have never had, everything I've done that I'd be totally ashamed if, if it was put up on the screen and other people knew. He knows all of my failures, he knows all of my sins, and yet he loves me with a personal love so that he's my savior. He died on the cross for my sins, and it is well in my soul because of Jesus' love and the forgiveness of sins that he's my savior. And it's a reminder for us at this Christmas season to celebrate that you too, he knows exactly every detail of your life. And he died on the cross for your sins and he's your savior personally. He's an awesome savior. Let's look at uh, some of the things that Mary celebrates. What, what are the particulars that put a song of joy in her heart that I pray will renew and, and uh, well up a song of joy in your heart, my heart again this Christmas season? Well, first of all, he is a savior. Jesus is this awesome personal savior. And God is merciful throughout generations. He's merciful throughout generations. He shows mercy from generation to generation. Mary celebrates that. What's she talking about mercy? Well, mercy is when you look at a person in their need and you take action to meet that need. 
It's exactly what God did in sending Jesus. He saw us in our need, and he took action to meet our deepest need. You know, when you contrast that with um, our Christmas gifts, and I, I love Christmas season, I think we all do. We love thinking of gifts to give to our loved ones, our, our family, our friends, and, and um, but you know, um, most of our gifts, if not all of our gifts, they're not based on need. I mean, Martha and I, it's like, hey, what can I get you this year? We, we don't really need anything. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't give a nice gift. Our kids don't really need anything. I mean, we could cancel gift giving and nobody would, if you're talking about needs, yeah, if you go to Pokot in Kenya, then there's people with needs for food. And there's people with needs for shelter. And those are real needs. Most of us are not in that situation. And again, uh, it's a nice thing to give good gifts. But our gifts are not based on need. God's gift of Jesus is totally based on need. His greatest Christmas gift, if you will. I heard a couple of husbands who were talking about what they were going to buy their spouses for Christmas this year, and it's always the same, well, what, what, what are you going to get your spouse? And one of the husbands said to the other, he said, well, I'm going to get her what she asked for. And he was interested in some ideas. So he said, well, what did she ask for? And he said, well, she asked for something with a lot of diamonds in it. And uh, so he said, well, what are you going to get her? And he said, I got her a, a pack of cards. You'll get in trouble, man, if you do that. But, you know, it's just an illustration that uh, most of our gifts are not based on need. Jesus, the Savior, came to meet our deepest need. A few years ago, I, uh, I actually kept the, the Christmas card because it had a really special message on it, and it goes like this. God sent us our Savior. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. It's exactly what's going on in Christmas. He's sending us a savior. He took mercy. He saw Rick. He saw you and your deepest spiritual need, the forgiveness of sins. And out of heart of love, he's, I'm going to send, I'm, I'm going to send Jesus to be Rick's savior, your savior, the savior of the world. And uh, I also had a memory when I was thinking about this. A few years ago, some of you knew, uh, I used to uh, have the privilege of serving in a volunteer capacity at the University of Hawaii as a, as a chaplain for the basketball team. I used to enjoy going down there and uh, every year there'd be a new uh, group of student athletes and some new players coming in and I'd, first, first chapel I'd always sort of try and figure out where they're coming from in their spiritual background because they come from different, some of them would just show up with chapel and you didn't know where they were coming from, whether they'd ever been to church before or why they were coming to chapel because it was volunteer. So I would always just ask a general question. I'd say, uh, tell me something about your spiritual journey or tell me something about your spiritual background. And this one guy, one year he said, Right to that answer, he said, when I asked him, what, what, tell me about your spiritual journey with this uh, group of, of student athletes, he said, the forgiveness of sins, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'll never forget him saying that. It, he didn't tell me anything about whether it be to church or not. He just said, the forgiveness of sins, it's a beautiful thing. And I've never forgotten that because it is a beautiful thing for you to know, for me to know, because of what Jesus came, born in a stable, but headed for the cross 
headed to be the Savior who rose from the dead. And for you and me to be able to say, it is well with my soul. God has totally, completely wiped the slate clean of my life. He's declared me righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. It is well with my soul. And he is my personal Savior. He saw me with mercy. And guess what? Mary celebrates this mercy, this love of God, this forgiveness of the Savior throughout generations, from generation to generation. And yes, uh, just last month, we had the privilege of standing and, and honoring my mom at her farewell as she uh, received her heavenly homecoming. And she was a woman who, of faith who, who put her faith in Jesus and experienced the forgiveness of sins. But talk about, you know, one of her favorite verses was Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, where she would say to us as a family, she would say, the Lord is our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Lord is, we live and move and have faith in him through all generations. And can I just share with you a, a word of testimony of God's blessing with that? Because her father, a man I only met once and when I was a young child, and frankly, he was... Um, senile at that point and so I never really knew my grandpa Ed but her father's name was Edward Fish <laughs> that was her maiden name and I got to tell you that um, true story one time um, when I was younger my sister graduated from college and uh, I traveled up to uh, the, the town she was at and there were some friends there that had known my mom throughout her entire life and knew her as Margaret Fish <laughs> that was her maiden name and um, when one of her friends saw me, it was the first time I ever saw her, she said, my mom introduced her to me to this lady, and this lady looked at me and said, Rick, you have a fish face. <laughs> Not even thinking. She was saying, it was a fan. Oh, I thought, thank you very much. <laughs> I have a fish face. That was her maiden name. Her dad was Edward Fish. Edward Fish put his faith in Jesus Christ and, and um, out of a response of, of, of love and gratitude to Jesus, he took off to China. And um, he married my grandmother on that side, and they got married in China. And he served as a medical missionary his entire life, 45 years. In fact, one really cool thing was during World War II, when he couldn't get back to China, he served in the Molokai um, leper colony and used his medical skills there for a few years. So he had a, a little Hawaiian connection. But my granddad had, on that side, had faith in Jesus. And he raised his three sons and my mom, and his five of them, and, and uh, my mom's sister, to put their faith in Jesus. And my mom put her faith in Jesus and experienced him as her personal savior, second generation. So she grew up in China, and then when she's 18 years old, just before the Japanese invaded um, China, World War II, she got out. She went to college in Canada. She met my dad, and uh, they fell in love. They got married, and they had a heart of faith in Jesus, and they said, we need to go to Africa to tell people about Jesus. And so that's why Pastor Rick was born in Angola. But mom and dad led their family in Jesus being the savior of the world. And by God's grace, six children in our family all put their faith in Jesus, including this one. And part of that was because I saw the faith lived out well. And the love for God lived out well in my parents. And so, yeah, I made my personal decision for faith in third generation. Grandpa Edward Fish, my mom, Margaret, became Stinton. And then 
God uh, led Martha and me together. We established our family. We, we wanted to raise our children to understand the same Savior in our generation. Because Grandpa Ed has come and gone. Now Mom has come and gone. And God gave us four sons. And one of those sons, Mark, and we called him after his missionary grandfather, Mark Edward. And God gave him some of the missionary zeal of his grandfather. And um, as a parent, you know, there isn't a greater gift than when your kids put their faith in Jesus because he's the savior of every generation. And you can't make their choices for them, but when they make their choices, guess what? Jesus is the awesome savior of my children as well. And as Mark and Megan raised their children, when Esther and Jude and Micah put their faith in Jesus, guess what? Another generation, because he's there in every generation for those who put their faith in him. So as parents, it's encouraging to know that, that God can take um, that faith that you have and build it into the next generation. But we also realize we need to pray for our kids. We need to raise our kids in, in the nurture. It's not an automatic decision, and it's been well said that God doesn't have any grandchildren. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You don't get into heaven on your parents' faith. Every child of God is, a, is just that, a child. God only has children, and every generation has to make those choices. You may not have had what God has blessed me with, five generations of people putting their faith in Jesus. But guess what? You can start now, and you can, through God's grace, build generations of faith. Because he is there in every generation. He is faithful. His mercy, his awesome uh, Savior Jesus is, is available to every person who would fear him, who would recognize who he is and put their trust in what Christ has done. He is merciful from generation to generation to generation. And we need to count on that and hold on to that and, and live that out. Mary celebrates this awesome Savior who is faithful in every generation, merciful throughout generations. Second thing she sings about. Again, God is faithful to his word. Did you notice what she said? He made a promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children, the nation, forever. And he's faithful to his word. When God makes a promise, he lives up to his word. And yes, she's looking at the fact that God had intervened into human history when the world was headed for hell in a handbasket. And the curse of death was spreading over the world. And God intervened, and I'm going to choose a moon worshiper, a middle-aged businessman named Abraham. And I'm going to call him to go, and I'm going to make him a promise that this land will belong to him. I'm going to call him by faith, by faith to go to a place where I will show him. Genesis chapter 12. And God made promises to Abraham. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you the land. And I will bless all peoples of the world with you. And when he says bless, he's talking about infusing with the potency of life and victory. Whereas death and the curse of sin is ruling over the planet, I'm going to bring life and life to its fullest. And it's exactly what Jesus meant when Jesus showed up and he said, I have come that you might have life and life to its fullest. Life to its fullness here now, but life beyond this life. Or life beyond the grave. Eternal life. And Mary is celebrating that Jesus came in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And brought life to the world. Brought life as the Savior to you and to me. 
And he is the resurrection and the life. And although he didn't promise you the land of Israel, and he didn't promise you to be a great nation, he promised that to Abram. He makes a promise to you and me. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, yet shall you live. I love you, love you with a life that goes beyond the grave to eternal life. And uh, that's his promise to you. And that's his promise to me. And that's his promise to everyone who puts their faith in Christ because he's an awesome savior. He has a love and a power that goes beyond the grave. And he is faithful to his word. Here's another promise he makes to you and me that's more concerned with this life. He says, seek first God's kingdom, Jesus as your number one in life, Jesus as your king, seek him first, and he'll take care of everything else in your life. All of these things will be added to you. So what are the needs that you have in life? Do you have a need for employment? Seek Jesus, and he'll take care of that. Do you have a need for a friend? Seek Jesus, and he'll bring a wonderful friend into your life. Do you have a need for a spouse? Seek Jesus and let him choose that rightful partner, that, that lifelong partner in, in faith in Jesus and in, in partnership in serving him. Do you have need for employment? Seek first Jesus and let him meet those needs in your life. And he will come through with, with uh, his faithful promises. You know, it was a few years back, but as I thought about this last week, I had flash into memory um, a few years ago. I had a friend who... Um, basically a fairly poor family. They didn't have a lot of funds. He had four children and kind of drove as a family vehicle. It wasn't a junk, you know, a junk mobile, but it was close to it. <laughs> it wasn't a very attractive vehicle, but it, it worked and it got his family around. Guess what happened just before Christmas time? Somebody stole his car and took it for a joyride and then dumped it and burned it. And a couple of years late, a couple of days after it was stolen, um, they found his vehicle and it was just all burned up and destroyed. And yeah, there was an insurance claim, but you know how it goes with insurance, especially with some older vehicles. You don't get a lot of money back. And he was faced with having to buy a vehicle for his family again, right at Christmas time. Guess what happened? Word got out in the church, and I don't know, and nobody knew, but somebody saw this Ford Explorer. Uh, for sale in the newspaper, and uh, the Holy Spirit touched someone's heart, and they bought that vehicle, and they gave it to the family, just as a gift, and he ended up with a much better vehicle than he had originally lost, and it was just God taking care of his needs, and God showing his faithfulness to him, and uh, many of us can tell of situations where we've gotten into a jam, or a difficulty, or a need, and God has just come through and met our needs, uh, because he's gracious, and he's forgiving, and he's an awesome savior. And his promises are true. He says, seek first his kingdom, and he'll take care of all of the other stuff in your life. And so, he's merciful through generations, he's faithful to his word, and he's incomparable in his person. He's incomparable in his person. Did you notice what Mary says? She says this, the mighty one is holy. Holy, set apart, distinct, incomparable. There's no one like him. Holiness isn't just one of God's attributes, like he's, he's wise and he's loving and he's powerful. No, it's the summary of all of his, everything about him is distinct. There's, there's his, his purity, that Jesus came um, and showed the, the presence of God in, in his person with purity. He never committed a sin. Think about that for a moment. None of us can identify with that. 
He's the only person that walked on this planet. You read all of what people wrote about his life. He never commits a sin. Those people who lived with him, who uh, lived day in, day out with him, they said he was without sin. Think about that for a moment. None of us can say that. You might say, well, Pastor Rick, he doesn't commit that many sins, but you just see me maybe for half an hour on a Sunday morning. You don't live with me. If you lived with me, you'd say, whoa, he needs forgiveness of sins just like I do. And, uh, and yet people who were the closest to Jesus said, this is a man absolutely set apart, distinctive. There was no sin in him. He was pure. He was also set apart in his power that he came as the king of heaven, the son of God, and took on humanity. But John says he had the power to, to do all the work of creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, Jesus all things have been created by him. What? He created the universe. Talk about an unfathomable power. There's no power like that, that you and I know of. Power that, that creates the universe and sustains the universe moment by moment. The very reason the universe doesn't explode or spin apart is because by the power of Jesus, our awesome Savior, he sustains the universe by his power. And he showed that kind of power in his earthly ministry. He showed power over the physical forces of creation. He spoke and controlled the surf and the wind. That's only God's kind of power. That's, there's no power like that. He's distinctive, incomparable in his power. The spiritual forces recognized his authority. One word and demons fled because he had absolute power and authority over the spiritual world. Disease, one word from Jesus and blind men would see and lame men would jump up and dance and one word from Jesus and Lazarus would come forth from the tomb because he had absolute power. There's no power like anybody else has that Jesus has. He is holy. He's distinctive. He's the mighty one set apart in his purity, set apart in his power. And yes, distinctive, incomparable in his love. You read this man's life, his story. Everything he did through his entire life was caring for other people. He never used his powers for his own personal needs. He poured out his life for people, serving them, healing them, teaching them, and yes, ultimately in this greatest act of love, going to the cross and yielding his powers as he suffered in your place and my place. Incomparable love. No greater love has anyone than this, than Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And thank God, no greater power that he could rise from the dead and, and lead us on to um, a new creation in this life, a new creation in the world to come, eternal life, resurrection life. Incomparable in all of these different ways. There's no one like Jesus. He's an awesome Savior. And Mary celebrates and sings that this Savior that is coming into the world, that God had chosen her to be the mother of Jesus. He's merciful through generations. He's faithful to his word. He is incomparable in his person. And yes, don't miss this. He delights to exalt the humble. This is a major part of her celebration. He delights to exalt the humble. This is the great reversal where Mary celebrates that when God comes into the world and provides a savior, he brings down the prideful. He brings down the powerful. And he raises up the lowly. And he delights to honor and show favor to the humble. And Mary herself is a beautiful example of that. She's a peasant girl. She's not an aristocrat. She's not a political leader. She's not a, a business leader. She's not a high muckety muck. 
You would have never heard from her. She's just a poor peasant girl living in an obscure, dusty part of the world. But God sees her heart and says, I'm going to raise up this lowly servant of mine, and I'm going to honor her. She's going to be known as Mary, the mother of God, who, yes, she needed a personal savior, but what a gift, unique gift in all of human history that God gave to Mary. He raised up the lowly. He honored and showed favor to the humble. And that she's just one part of the story, but she celebrates this great reversal where God turns things upside down in the Savior. The shepherds are another example, and we, we don't really get this because we haven't, didn't live in that culture, but in that culture, shepherds were despised. They were outcasts. They were considered kind of bandits. They weren't trustworthy. They were, and I don't mean this in an unkind way, but they were sometimes where people look at the homeless people and, and the houseless people, and they just look down on them, and they're social outcasts, and they're, they're considered not at the low end of the social pecking order, if you will. That's kind of like what shepherds were viewed. And yet when the angels show up with the announcement of the birth of the Savior, who do they go to? Not the political leaders, not the business leaders, not the aristocrats, not the wealthy people. They go to the shepherds. They go to the, the lowly people. They say, wonderful news. In, the birth, in Bethlehem, the Savior's been born. And God honors the lowly shepherds with that announcement. And this isn't just unique to the Christmas story. You read Jesus' Uh, especially in the Gospel of Luke, but in, in, in all of the Gospels. Jesus had a delight in honoring those who were socially outcast, those who were marginalized, those who were oppressed, those who felt they weren't done with fairly in life and weren't. And that's a great word of encouragement. If you've ever felt like you're on the outside circle, that you don't really count, that other people are the important ones, you need to know that the Savior came with a heart of love for you as much as you feel like you're on the outside circle or you may be not dealt fairly in life or, or you may be under an unfair situation or, or oppression. Let me just give you some examples of how Jesus came to turn things upside down um, and to exalt the lowly and the humble. He did it with Mary. He did it with the shepherds. He did it with the parable of, and I'm going to rename the parable, the new hope pastor and the lying politician. <laughs> Do you know that parable? Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee, a religious leader, a man who taught other people the scriptures, and a tax collector who was despised. Kind of like, I don't know about you these days, but every time I turn on the news, I'm so fed up with lying politicians. You know, they say, and I don't want to become skeptical, but you know, they say, you know when a politician is lying? when they're moving their lips. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's a little bit skeptical and maybe not that fair, but I'm, I'm frankly kind of tired of, look, of politicians looking into my living room and telling me something and there's documentable evidence that it's not true. It's like they're just lying to me. So Jesus tells this parable of a New Hope pastor and a lying politician. And he says, this New Hope pastor and this lying politician go up to pray to God. And the New Hope pastor, the one who teaches the scriptures and, and leads the congregation, and um, he prays to God and he says this. He says, God, thank you I'm not like that scumbag over there. And what he does is he makes a huge mistake and he compares himself with another person rather than in his religion. Thank you, God, I'm not like that person over there. And I go to church every Sunday and I do my religious duties and thank you, God, I'm not like them. 
And then he says, then the lying politician comes and he goes to pray to God and he says this, God have mercy on me a sinner. God have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus turns it upside down and he says, guess who's declared righteous? It's the lying politician who comes in humility and says, God have mercy on me a sinner. Not the religious dude who is seen as a public religious leader but compares himself in self-righteousness to another person. That's his whole point, because God delights in the humility of recognizing the need for my forgiveness of sins, whether I'm a pastor or whether I'm a politician. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed who recognize their own spiritual poverty because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've got to come to realize your own spiritual need wherever you're at. And um, that's the kind of lowliness, humility, that Jesus looks for in a heart. He turns it upside down, and you think, well, that's the religious leader, and he's the high monk. No, no. God is looking for humble, lowly hearts in their own spiritual condition. But that's just one example. Jesus loved to turn things upside down with people who, who felt like they were ethnically oppressed. And um, uh, you, you know the story where uh, great ethnic um, negative feelings, prejudice of Jews towards Samaritans and quite frankly Samaritans towards Jews. So he had all this ethnic junk, prejudice between two ethnic groups. And Jesus makes a point to meet a woman who's a Samaritan. And, and uh, the disciples can't even believe he's going to talk to a woman, but a Samaritan woman, an outcast, a, a half-breed. Um, and not only that, uh, she was a woman with a moral background, too, because she had had five husbands, five relationships with men. And Jesus knew all of that, but he wanted to bring her living water. And he brought her living water, and he turned things upside down. People were shocked to say, you'd even talk to a Samaritan woman? Yes, because he had a heart of love for people who felt rejected, who felt outcast, who felt like they... And this woman, she'd go get water at the middle of the day when there weren't any other people there because she was outcast even among her own people. And, um, and Jesus had a heart of compassion, and she came to receive that living water, went back to her village and told people about Jesus, and other people received the Savior, the salvation, because Jesus had a heart to turn things upside down, ethnically, and um, yes, morally, you may feel sometimes like what I've committed in my past, uh, my moral failures, uh, whether they're uh, relationships or finances or whatever, um, breaking the law, uh, doing time, my moral failures in life, how, how I'm, I'm on the outside. God could never accept me. And Jesus says, no, I came to reach out in love to the lowly, to the humble. It doesn't matter what your moral background is. It doesn't matter what your financial background is. But if you come with a lowly spirit and recognize your spiritual need, I have a heart of love to be your eternal, faithful Savior. That's who he is. He turned everything upside down. And yes, ethnic things, uh, moral things, business things. I love the story of, you know, the, the, the height-challenged businessman. His name was Zacchaeus. And he was a corrupt businessman. And yet when Jesus came into town and Zacchaeus had to climb up a tree even to see him, and Jesus said, hey... He took initiative not to go to the righteous, the powerful, the well-connected in town. He chose the corrupt, corrupt businessman. He said, Zach, I'm, I'm coming to your house for lunch. <laughs> he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for lunch. Why? Because he loves to turn things upside down. 
and he loves to exalt the lowly and the humble. And Zacchaeus came to realize in the presence of Jesus and became generous in, in terms of uh, making right what he had done wrong. In all of these ways and more, and yes, I cannot identify with it, and we live in a much freer world, thankfully, but very often women can be treated as second class. You can experience oppression or marginalization or feel like you're an outcast because of your gender. And uh, many women can identify with that in the marketplace, in the community. And yet Jesus came to reverse that as well. So what did he do? He rose from the dead and he chose to honor a woman. The first person he met when he rose from the dead was Mary of Magdala. And she became the first evangelist. And she went and told the apostles, Jesus is risen from the dead. And um, in a culture where women's uh, word wasn't even accepted in court, they were treated as such second-class citizens that, that um, they couldn't even have a legal standing in court. Jesus says, I'm going to honor a woman and women with her by having her be the first one that tells others about the resurrected Savior. In all of these ways, what was Jesus doing? He was reversing the table. He came to exalt the lowly and to pull down those who would have pride and power in their own hearts. And um, he delights to show favor, to show goodness to those who come to him emptied of their own pride, emptied of their own power, but open to receive his favor, his blessing, whatever their background, whatever their standing is in life. And um, Mary shows us the key because what we read about is the angel shows up to Mary and, and, and um, she says this. She says, I am your servant. May it be to you, as the angel announces that, that God is going to break in and totally disrupt her life, give her a child without a human father. And she says, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you have said, she says to the angel. She's available. She's humble. She's open to what God wants to do in her life. And that's the key for you and me as well. We want to have a song of heart in our heart this Christmas, song filled with joy at this Christmas season. We need to recognize as Mary did. What an awesome personal Savior we have in all of these myriads of ways. And yes, we need to come to him with a humble heart, open to what he wants to do in our lives here and now, and make ourselves available to his purposes, which is simply to love God and to love people. Let's stand together and pray, and then we'll uh, close our service in God's goodness. Father, as we come this morning, we thank you again for this miracle child, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you were alive, that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that your purposes are the same. Thank you that you are an awesome personal Savior that we can celebrate in all of these different ways, that you're faithful to your word, that you're merciful to, to our parents and to our generation, to our children's generation, that your love is constant, that you are continually available to be our Savior. And yes, there is no one like you set apart, incomparable in the entire universe. So Lord, we delight to serve you and may our hearts join you this Christmas season in humility, recognizing the wonder of who you are, recognizing the wonder of your love to forgive us our sins. And would you indeed fill our hearts with joy that overflows to the life of our loved ones and neighbors and others who are desperately in need of the forgiveness of sins as we are. We love you and serve you and thank you this Christmas season in Jesus' name. And the Lord's people said, amen. 
Have a wonderful week. Let him fill your hearts with his joy. And we'll see you next Sunday.